SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Thanks, Greg. It's five minutes past six o'clock. Hilton Tarrant with you on the Market Update this Friday evening. We're taking your share and investment related questions. 011-684-2770. That's the phone line. 011-684-2770. Alternatively, on our SMS line, 34701 with a keyword market. That's 34701 with the keyword market at a cost of two rand per SMS. Wayne McCurry of Momentum Wealth, also Magnus Haystack of Brenthurst Wealth, standing by to answer those questions. First up, as always, the business news. BNP Paribas reckons the time has finally come to buy the South African rand, the currency that everyone loved to hate not so long ago. In its research note on Friday, it says the rand has lost 19% against the dollar since the start of labor unrest. The bank believes that much of the negative news has already been priced into the rand and that an improvement in trade data as well as stabilization of foreign bond holdings should see some support return to the currency. Gold prices eased back below $1,310 an ounce on Friday to head for a second straight weekly loss. That's as the dollar recovered from this week's seven-week low, and uncertainty persisted over the outlook for U.S. monetary policy. Speculation that the Federal Reserve could start tapering its $85 billion monthly bond-buying program knocked gold to a three-week low this week, but it rebounded yesterday as a rally in platinum sparked broad-based buying of precious metals. And BlackBerry is warming up to the possibility of going private as the smartphone maker battles to revive its fortunes, several sources have told Reuters. Chief Executive Torsten Heinz and the company's board is increasingly coming around to the idea that taking BlackBerry private would give them breathing room to fix its problems out of the public eye. No deal is imminent, however, and BlackBerry has not launched any kind of a sale process. The company's shares have fallen more than 19% this year. Its market value has fallen to just under $5 billion from $84 billion at its peak in 2008. The JSE up a third of 1% yesterday at 41,747 points. Obviously not trading today. The FTSE in London up about a third of 1%. U.S. markets about uh, three quarters of 1% lower uh, this Friday, the Rand at 9.77 against the dollar, a lot stronger, about half a percent stronger there. 15.10 to the pound, 13.02 to the euro. Gold is at $1,314 an ounce. Platinum, 1500 exactly. And a barrel of Brent is at $107. SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Wayne McCurry and uh, Magnus Haystek, our guests on the market update this evening. Wayne, let's start with you. Uh, just looking across at, at some of the trading happening in London. Anglo is up 6% today. VHP Billiton up uh, about 3%. It makes, uh, makes Monday an interesting prospect. It's going to be very interesting. Look, I mean, there was good economic news that came out of China, but that's, you know, that came out yesterday. And, 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 and Anglo's did rally a little bit on that. But obviously, there's the sentiments changing a little bit uh, uh, towards the resource shares. You know, China's maybe not as bad as what as what people think it's going to be. And it's quite interesting. In about the last month, um, I mean, our old share index is more or less back at the record high, roughly speaking, thousand points or so. Um, but the last month has all been powered by the resource shares. They've been the powerhouse, and um, that's pushed the market up. And the the old perennials who normally push the market up, the retailers, etc., <laughs> etc. Cetera, et cetera, um, haven't really had much of a showing, except for Naspers, of course. I mean, Naspers just continues to to go. I mean, it, it is a, a phenomenal uh, situation that a share, you know, it's back at a 50 PE again. You know, when they, it was a 50 price earnings ratio, which is incredibly high. Then they reported earnings, and it dropped back quite nicely as the earnings came through. But now the market's just 
pushed it again. So we'll have to see. But it, there does seem to be a little bit of a change on uh, sentiment towards the resource shares. I mean, Anglo-American slip below 200 is now 220. You know, it's going, it's going up, and then obviously we're going to get uh, if the What's happening in the UK at anything to go by on Monday, we'll see a very, very strong share price there. Wayne, your thoughts as to what's happening with platinum? We saw that spike yesterday, and uh, the price of the spot metal still higher today, 1,500 or just under. It's dropped below there now, but uh, that's remarkable given that it was at 1,400 not too long ago. Yeah. Look, look platinum's very, very different to gold. Eh? I mean, there is a physical demand for it, but maybe more importantly, there's no real stock of platinum above ground. It's not like gold. So the 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 consumption obviously has has uh, has gone down over the last two or three years, specifically related to auto catalysts out of Europe. I mean, European car sales in volume terms are down about 30%. So that's quite a big drop off in the demand for platinum. But there's also a limited supply. Sim- simply, and a lot of suppliers come off stream. I can't remember the number. But I suppose in total there's maybe 200,000, 300,000 ounces of supply that's come off. So there should be some rectification of the platinum price at some stage to a level that, that the platinum miners can actually make a decent return on it. But of course any good economic news is good for platinum. And we've had, I mean the UK had very good economic news, although still a, I mean it's still a big economy. Um, but Europe seems to be a bit better, but you know, in China, as we spoke about, China was the big one. We spoke about this on the program last night with David Shapiro. Uh, obviously, the the June mining uh, production data out here in South Africa, and with uh, the production of platinum PGM metals down 19 percent, yeah. and this was pre-Marikana, pre-crisis, albeit uh, a couple of strikes uh, early mm. on last year. Those were relatively normal levels, uh, and for it to be almost 20 percent lower. This year, that yeah. was last year, that is significant given yeah, that we is. are the But, that, the but that's just normal economics, that's mm. normal markets. The platinum market was oversupplied and they had to take supply out simply because they weren't making money. Now we've seen a lot of the junior platinums just mothballing mines. A lot of the, there's no exploration or no development expenditure happening whatsoever. And of course we all know about the Amplats. Uh, restructuring, mm. if you like to call it that, or downsizing or correct sizing, whatever you want to call it. So the platinum price, I mean, the platinum price, uh, obviously this is now, seems so long ago, but you know, not that many years ago, everyone was talking, same as gold, you know, talking phenomenal levels. And platinum got to $2,200 per ounce at the peak in 2008. And it's now sitting at one four, well, call it one 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 five thousand five hundred. Um, so it has made some type of recovery, but of course you must remember what's relevant for our platinum mines is the rand price of platinum, and and that's not too far off the previous peak eh, simply because of rand weakness. So, you know, once the platinum miners take the the really expensive production off system, they actually ends up making a reasonable amount of money. I mean, the, the platinum price peaked in 2018 rand terms at, uh, call it 17,000 rand an ounce, you know, and it's 15,000 rand an ounce now, so it's not that far off the previous peak. We keep taking your calls. A couple of calls coming through on our uh, on our phone lines this evening. O double one six eight four two double seven zero. That's O one one six eight four two seven seven zero. Any share or investment related uh, questions you have for either Wayne McCurry or Magnus Haystack, also on our SMS line three four seven O one 
with a keyword market. That's 34701 with a keyword market. Magnus Haystack, uh, one of the questions I've been meaning to ask you for a while, biotech. We've spoken about this on the program before, and this was a sector that you'd highlighted had done incredibly well uh, over the past number of years. How's that been performing? Yes, good evening, uh, Hilton, and hello, Wayne, and, and to all our lady listeners, and a happy uh, Women's Day today. And if they had listened to this advice two years ago, buying some biotech, they would have doubled their money. I mean, um, to put it quite bluntly, the returns the last year, year and a half, has been astronomical. In, in dollar terms, the biotech sector has been the best sector in, on the U.S. markets, outperforming everything, the, the, the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, um, even the NASDAQ itself. And, and there's a lot of reasons for it, but suddenly the world has woken up that there's a lot of stuff happening in laboratories all around the United States, in Europe, to a certain extent. And a prime example is this hamburger that they've created in the laboratory. <laughs> so you can, that's just a, a, a populist type of example of what is happening in the biotech in, in industry. So the returns this year so far up 35% in dollar terms. In rands, it's about 50%. And the returns over the last year has been 110%. So the biotech sector is has been a very, very hot place to be, a very nice place to be. And uh, I would still recommend that people look at biotech. Let's take our first call for this evening. David in Mayfair, good evening. Good evening. Uh, what would your top choice be for a junior blue chip? A junior blue chip? That's yeah, a very yeah. interesting question. That, yeah, that's one that's just uh, starting. Thanks a lot for that question, David. Uh, also, a question on our SMS line uh, coming through on 34701 using the keyword market. What is happening to the Sassol share? There was hype a while back to buy them. Let's get to the first of those. Wayne, that's a very interesting question. Uh, and, and David and I have spoken about it uh, a couple of times before on the program. That is the real challenge, isn't it? Yes. To find to find the next blue chip, the next uh, Sassel, the next. Well, look, I Richmond. suppose if I knew the answer to that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's very difficult to actually um, identify shares, you know, at, at the start of their growth phase. And quite frankly, I'm not terribly good at that. And 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 also, to be honest, it's uh, it's served me very well over the years, not being good at, at, at identifying, because there are so many promising shares that come along and people are hyped through the roof and, you know, in three years later, five years later, the shares aren't even there anymore. They just disappear. But uh, I think there, there are quite exciting things happening at Grinrod. I mean, it's not a small company, but they've certainly got big expansion plans uh, for the ports in Mozambique. So that that's one that, that I would that, that I would have, have a look at. Um, I'm not really keen on... Uh, Let's call it production South Africa or agricultural South Africa. Mm. I think that that's got you know there's just too many headwinds and it's just a very it's a very very competitive sector. You know um, there's a lot of hype and and I know this might be very late in the day, but there's a lot of hype around Curo. I mean the private education sector in South Africa, very similar to the, the model that 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 Curo is employing, is is growing compound about thirty, forty percent a year, simply because people would rather go to these type of private schools and go to government schools. So that might be a, a very, very good growth sector. You know, the media sector, it's difficult to find 
something in there. Um, the financial sector, there's nothing really new there that you could go for. You know, maybe blue label telecom, telecoms, you know, they might mm. be able to grow the business quite a bit. But it's also a relatively well-established uh, uh, company that... Um, uh, that's about yeah. That's a couple of things, but you know, as it is, it's a very difficult. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult to identify these companies, um, simply because, you know, when the market cottons onto something, it'll push the shares very, very high, and then it's, it's possibly too late to actually get into it. Well, we have seen that with Cura, uh, and and I have uh, heard from one or two well-placed people um, over the past number of weeks. Cura is actively looking for potential opportunities in the Middle East as well as uh, in, in kind of the Latin American region. Yeah. So that could that could give them a, a, a kind of second growth. When Magnus, your thoughts on, on the next or blue chips or a junior blue chip on the market? As that question was being asked, I was writing down Kuro Holdings as Wayne started speaking. So, I mean, that was a sector that, you know, or a fund, a company that I have been watching and, and also like. But you must remember when you asked that question, the next junior blue chip. You have to understand that blue chips, by definition, are the ones that have survived 10 or 20 years of economic turmoil. Most people forget about all those companies that have fallen by the wayside. And, and, and hence the risk of going to select just one as your blue chip for the next 5 to 10 years is extremely, extremely high. I mean, everybody remembers the Naspasses and the Capitex and the and the PSGs and, and, and what have you, but everybody forgets, or not those who invested in them, the ones that have fallen by the wayside. So it's a very high-risk strategy. I would rather say if you have a long-term uh, uh, investment horizon, you want to take some risk, give your money to a high-risk fund, where the fund manager will go and do the buying and selling and the research. And a fund that comes to mind, and it's a very small fund, and I've been speaking about this for a while, it's the Stanley Global Science and Technology Fund. And when I found this fund, I looked at what they're buying. They've been buying NOSPAS, they've been buying Google, they've been buying Samsung, all the stuff that the young techie type people are, the products that they're using. And the returns over the last five years has been compounding at 25%. I'm saying, why go look for something better than that? Give your money to a, an aggressive fund. I'm not saying only this fund. There are more of them. But to go and select one stock is, is, is very close to gambling, in my opinion. When your thoughts on Sassel, that question coming sure. through. Uh, stock is up <coughs> about 7% over the past uh, 30 days. Over the past year, up 32%. Yeah. Look, Sassel has been a favorite demand for a long time. And in fact, Sassel is the most widely held share in uh, investment South Africa. Mm. It is by far the most widely held share. Now, as you said, the share price has actually performed quite well. It's within a whisker of its previous high that it saw in 2008. But maybe more importantly than that, you're still getting a fairly good dividend yield out of Sassel, and the dividend's very, very safe at the moment. So I don't think, I don't think people have lost sight of, of Sassel. I mean, you actually hear it mentioned quite often on investment programs and that. And I still think it's a very solid share that you can buy. There's tremendous growth potential with natural gas in the, in the U.S. and maybe even in South Africa going forward, which could be a major, major boost uh, to, to Sassel's earnings. I'm, I'm actually very, uh, uh, very interested in that and very enthusiastic about that. I mean, Sassel's dividend yield 
is about 40% higher than the all shares dividend yield. I mean, it is still a resource company. Sasol has cut dividends in the past. I mean, it cut in 2008, but in the whole market cut their dividend just about. But other than that, it's actually been a very reliable dividend payer. It's got a very strong balance sheet. So I'm, you know, I, I, I see no problem with Sasol whatsoever, in fact. The plant in the U.S., in Louisiana, that is the real potential to yes. be a game changer and yes. could potentially transform this company from... Yep. Uh, a leader to a world beater. Yes, it, it actually could. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in this whole natural gas with, with, with fracking. Putting aside environmental issues and all of those things, I've come across very few game changes since I've been in investments. Obviously, one of them is the, is the Internet and the dot-com and all of these things, but the second one that I've come across is this natural gas. This is huge. It, 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 it genuinely is going to transform energy and energy usage and energy supply over the next 20 years. 21 minutes after 6 o'clock, taking your questions on 011-684-2770, also on our SMS line 34701 with the keyword market. That's at a cost of 2 rand per SMS. We're back after this. SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Nine minutes to go here on the market update to take us to uh, 6.30 this woman's day. Hilton Tarrant with you uh, until game plan. Uh, we've got uh, a good couple of questions to get through on the phone line. We'll take a batch of three. Let's go to line three. Edwin and George, good evening. Yes, very good evening on Women's Day and, and, and to the men without whom they wouldn't exist. Uh, uh, just to caveat uh, apropos of ethics in business, I remember some months ago, talking to Alex and saying I wouldn't advise people to invest in B&A tobacco, giving people cancer in the Far East. He said, yes, there's a matter of ethics. Now, apropos of this biotech business, uh, there's terrible PR stuff. With ethics in business, we have to realize that where companies do dishonest things, the companies are composed, you and I, are shareholders. We are actually, and our brokers, responsible ethically and under the, uh, con- uh, the uh, constitution of this country America's is dead because of debt and other constitutions whether written or not if it's not in the interests of the good citizen of the people it is not constitutional and therefore one can be prosecuted thanks for that uh, David uh, or Edwin rather in George let's go to Sebastian in Cape Town good evening evening or can you ignore uh, environmental concerns about gas but my question is uh, we hear this ma- repeating mantra on your program and also on the fine music uh, program on economics, which runs the same time, about this recovery in the U.S., and it just keeps repeated endlessly. But I question it. I've been in the U.S. Uh, recently. I really don't see it on the ground. And the so-called housing recovery in the U.S., for example, is being driven by investors who are uh, – this illusion with the uh, uh, abnormally low interest rates and too scared to get into the stock markets. So it's not coming from the ground up from people uh, who want to get into their first-time homes. And, uh, for example, in Las Vegas, where you've had this uh, large uh, in- inflation increase in housing prices, purely investor-driven, there are thousands, repeat thousands, of foreclosed homes which are potentially uh, would come to the market but have been delayed because of some legislation just put into place fairly recently. So you have a strange situation of a large supply of thousands of homes which could come to the market, uh, but they're not, so there's a shortage and investors driving up the 
housing market and then creating this uh, mantra of the so-called housing recovery. Uh, it may be an, uh, every sort of small bit of news that's positive seems to get spun to be more than it is. So I question uh, whether this, uh, this recovery is in fact there or there to the extent which people punt it. And this has a, a relation to our investors who may be being punted into that particular market, taking uh, undervalued rents to buy overvalued dollars. Thanks, Sebastian. David in Lichtenberg, one of our regulars. Good evening. Uh, my question is, there are some shares like Elliot and St. Julia where the asset value is very high and uh, organizations like RECM are having large chunks. Is there something wrong with the shares? Or are they out of favor? David, thanks a lot for that question. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, Also, a question in on our SMS line this evening. How much is a financial advisor allowed to charge according to law? We'll get to that one as well. Uh, Wayne, do you want to have a stab at the the recovery in the U.S.? Uh, We can only go on economic data, can't we? (coughs) Yeah, I suppose so. Look, Look, I mean, Sebastian asks a very valid question. Understand this recovery is nothing like previous recoveries. Previous recoveries, the economy comes out the block and you just fly. What happened in the U.S. five years ago was dramatic. We've Mm -hmm. never seen it in our lifetimes. And there was a threat of essentially a collapse of the whole system. There was a distinct chance that the whole system could collapse. So what the Federal Reserve and other reserve banks in the world did was their primary objective was to avoid a collapse. It wasn't to engineer a recovery. It was to avoid a, 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 a meltdown, probably that, that, that could have been worse than the 1929 recession. Okay. So what we see now is not a strong recovery at all. It's just not a meltdown. It's not a disaster. It's still, in fact, a very weak recovery. The U.S. economy is actually still quite weak, but it's so all that you hear on programs like this is the news is better than expected. Mm. It doesn't mean that the news is good. And uh, just to, to finalize on that, we still do not know what the ultimate outcome is going to be of all of this free money because we've never seen it in our lifetimes. But... You know, the funny thing about investment is if there's a a massive amount of very cheap liquidity that's going on for five or six years, you ignore that at your peril. Because, I mean, our market... Our market was 17,000 and the liquidity was injected. It's now 40,000. The U.S. market fell to what? The S&P fell to 1.1 uh, one, one or something. It's mm. now 1.7. Mm. You know, so that's up 50%. So you ignore it after peril. But I, I, I have a great deal of uh, – I, I agree with Sebastian to a large extent. The economy, The economic recovery in the U.S. is actually still quite poor and is being supported by – um, this, this extra liquidity But it seems to be getting better And I've also learned one thing In almost 30 years of looking at markets Don't ever underestimate The ability of the American economy To adapt to very very difficult circumstances It's, it's an extremely Resilient economy <coughs> Magnus very quickly How much is a financial advisor allowed to train, uh, charge According to law? There is no specific uh, fee structure Everything is regulated and open. Um, there's a guidance in terms of uh, upfront fee of anything up to two, maybe three percent, and then there's an ongoing fee up anything up to one, one comma two five percent. But there's no there's no maximum really. But it's up to between you and your client. The, the average, I would say, 
is about 0.75% per year, and uh, for, an, for an upfront investment, about 1%, maybe 2%, which comes down as the size gets bigger. So there's really no, there's no law that says this is what you must charge. Certain investment products do have legislated maximums. Uh, it's a fairly complicated formula, but uh, for most of the investments, it's, it's, it's between, between the advisor and the client. Wayne, very quickly, 30 seconds. Iliad Centula, without getting into the details there, obviously the net asset value uh, very high compared to where the share price is trading and uh, some fund managers seeing value. That's a very much a value issue. Now, you do get a thing called a value trap mm. where the assets can be worth a fortune, but if you can't generate an economic return from those assets, essentially they're worth nothing because the value you see, the net asset value you see, is just the accounting book value. It's not necessarily a market value. So, where you can make money out of this is if the company changes its direction and can somehow get a boost, get, get a decent return on those assets, or someone else takes those assets over and can get a, a decent return on it. But um, you, but you, it, it is very valid, but don't think for a moment that you can sell those assets tomorrow at the value they're on the balance sheet. Either someone must come along and say, right, how can I extract a, a decent market return on it, or how can the company do it? Charles in Cape Town, we didn't get to your question.